Do you dream of making your living writing fiction, but don't know where to start? Believe me, I understand. I worried and struggled over my writing for years, afraid it was cheesy and amateurish and not truly resonating with readers. Meanwhile, at every turn, I was told I couldn't make money this way. It takes too much time, too much hard work. It's not a real job. I bet you can relate, right? Well, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret the traditional publishing industry, and let's face it, most of society at large, doesn't want you to know. It's very possible to become a career author, to make your living writing stories full of emotion and passion and morality. With all the upheaval and negativity in our world right now, people need your stories more than ever before. Stories only you can tell, only you can bring them. I created this podcast to show you how, and I promise it will take less time than you think. So join the revolution of authors following their passion and changing lives, both their own and those of their readers. We are prolific authors. Good morning, prolific authors. How's everyone's week going? I hope everyone is staying safe and happy and well out there. Um, I guess I will start today with a short personal update. I've got a few people going through my writing course right now, and they are helping me to kind of take care of any glitches or technical issues or anything like that. And I'm excited to get it out into the world more, but it's kind of a work in progress right now. I did have someone ask me about Intercron the other day, and I actually feel really bad about this because I've been promising the end of the Intercron series for most of the year. I think I've talked about it on here before, but Basically, I have three books out and there's going to be three more. It's going to be a six book series. And I'm trying to write the final three books all at once because I want to rapid release them. And I am still working on it. It's not like it's completely off my radar or anything, but it keeps getting backburnered because of projects that just have more urgent deadlines. So it's definitely taken longer than I thought it would. Um, so I had a email subscriber who contacted me the other day and she's one who loves the series. It's like her favorite thing that I write. And so I felt really bad <laughs> and I just told her that it's, it's coming. Um, I'm definitely, definitely going to have the first of the final three books, which is book four out before the end of the year. And I'm going to try to get two out before the end of the year. Um, and then the third one will just be the first or second, you know, January or February of next year. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there thinking, well, why, if you have the first, you know, the first of the three book four done, why don't you just put that out? Well, it's, it's not entirely done, even though I'm about three quarters of the way done with all three. I'm, <laughs> I'm being sort of OCD about this and I'm not working on it in a very linear fashion. So the first one is like 90% of the way done and really it just needs um, another editing pass and then it'll be good to go. I'm about, I don't know, two thirds to three quarters of the way through the second one. And that's in writing, like it's that, that much of it is written. And the third one I haven't started yet, but it's, it's been extensively outlined. So overall I'm finishing up a novella this week that I'm going to be putting in, um, an anthology, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But after that, I'm going to be able to give pretty much my full attention to Intercron. And I really think it's only going to take me another month, maybe two, to get the whole thing finished. So to anyone out there who's waiting for Intercron, I'm really sorry. But hey, I'm just going to blame it on COVID and 2020 being a crazy year. And <laughs> it just keeps getting kind of backburnered. But I'm getting to the point where it's going to be 100% of what I'm working on. So I promise it is coming. And I will get it out to you as soon as possible. Um, speaking about the anthology, so I actually have a cover for my book that's going into the anthology. It's a novella, not a, not a full mystery book, but um, I know that, you know, I have probably more writers listening than readers, but if anybody wants to support our anthology, we actually have it up for pre-order on um, 
Kobo and Barnes and Noble and Apple. It's not actually available yet on Amazon. It probably will be in the next month, but we're trying to focus on wide sales because they're harder to get. And then, you know, as it gets closer, we'll put it up on Amazon. So I'm going to put those links in the show notes and it's only 99 cents. You'll get 18 mystery books, novellas or mystery books. Some of them are full length, but most of them are novellas. Um, from really great authors, some of whom I've worked with before. And yeah, it's a really, really good deal. It's only 99 cents. So if you want to support us in that, that would be great. And I will put those links in the show notes and I will let you know when it is available on Amazon. Hi, prolific authors, me again. All authors know the best investment they can make in their writing career, other than doing the actual writing, of course, is to build their author email list. Like many of you, I started small using the cheapest, most common provider I could find. But things have changed in recent years. The go-to email providers authors used to use simply aren't supporting us as well as they used to. That's why I use ConvertKit. Its functionality is off the charts amazing. Deliverability is stellar. And in all the time I've used ConvertKit, I've never had problems with getting emails to my list exactly when I wanted to. ConvertKit allows you to put everything on autopilot so you can connect with your fans in the way you want to, but without sacrificing valuable writing time to do it. With a totally free plan to get you started and comparable pricing as your list increases, there's something for everyone. So invest in yourself now by going with an email provider that will grow with you. Visit bit.ly forward slash TPA email. TPA as in the prolific author. So once again, that's bit.ly forward slash TPA email. Because we are prolific authors and prolific authors have stellar email lists. Okay, well, let's get on to our topic for today. It's about villains. <laughs> villains are one of my favorite things to talk about. They're super fun. I'm someone who often loves the villain more than the characters, just depending. And don't get me wrong, I'm usually rooting for the hero or the heroine to take down the villain. But even so, I tend to like villains and I like talking about them. And I'm really interested in criminal psychology, so I like analyzing them. I'm not today going to talk about different kinds of villains or too much detail on how to craft your villain. I'm really going to talk more about their function in the story and things that you need to have your villain do in order to be an effective villain. Okay, so it's going to be a checklist of what they need to do functionally in your story. Okay, so let's get started. Why is getting your villain right important? Well, your villain is actually the most important part of your story, believe it or not, and that's because the villain drives the conflict. So no villain equals no conflict equals no journey for the hero or heroine, and that means no story right? So if Sauron didn't exist, then Lord of the Rings would not exist, right? If the evil empire and Darth Vader weren't trying to do evil stuff, then there would have been no reason for Luke to go on his journey and to have the epic of Star Wars, right? So the, the villain drives everything. Without them, there isn't any conflict and there isn't any hero's journey or heroine's journey and therefore no story. So you need to make sure that your villain is very, very well constructed. All right, so let's get to our checklist here. First of all, and most people are pretty familiar with this, you have to plan them in great detail, okay? So everything that you do to plan your hero or heroine, make sure you do the same thing for your villain. So some of the things I've talked about in previous episodes, like planning their personality, their backstory, their emotional cues, their motivation, of course, their looks, all of that needs to be done with the same level of detail for your villain as you do for your hero, okay? It's really important that he or she is just as dynamic and detailed and well thought out as the hero of the story is. Um, make sure that the villain is the architect of both the inciting incident as well as every plot twist in the story. Now, most people will end up doing this pretty naturally as they tell their story, but anytime you have a, a plot twist 
or an escalation of any kind, you need to make sure that it can be traced back to the villain. And, and understand that the characters don't need to understand that it came from the villain. They might think it came from somewhere else or that it's just a coincidence. But in the end, it needs to be traced back to the villain. So again, if we use kind of the go-to examples that I always use, um, in Star Wars, really the inciting incident for Luke, if we're looking at episode four, A New Hope, is when his guardians are killed. That's what really kind of makes him decide to go on the journey. Everything before that wasn't having a big enough impact on him to make him decide to go. Okay, but we know that even though it wasn't specifically Darth Vader that killed his, his guardians, his aunt and uncle, it was still the Empire. It was, you know, whoever, the stormtroopers who were looking for the droids. So we can, you know, immediately trace that back to the villain. And, you know, you could do that with Lord of the Rings. Everything that happens is a result of Sauron, you know, and it, it can be indirect. It's not Sauron specifically doing it, but it's his minions. It's his plan. Um, it's him trying to accomplish his aims. So make sure that's always true in your story. They have to be the architects of both the inciting incident as well as every plot twist or escalation in the story. They should always try to deceive or ensnare the hero or heroine at some point, okay? Villains always practice deception of some kind and they should be actively trying to ensnare, trick, trap, something like that, the, the hero or heroine at some point. If they're not doing that, you might want to think about a way that you could work that into the story, okay? Because if they're not doing that, if the audience can't see that they're being deceptive, then they're not going to stand out as a particularly great villain. Keep in mind, they always have selfish motivations, okay? They have no empathy, sympathy, mercy, or compassion, at least not for the hero or heroine. So that's not to say that they don't have empathy or compassion for themselves, for their own families, for the people they care about. They, they certainly can. It just depends on the type of villain that you're doing. But when it comes to the hero or heroine, I don't know, you could argue that maybe they have some little bit of sympathy for them, you know, if, if the hero and villain connect over something. But overall, it's not enough for them to stop going after their evil aims or to stop, um, you know, butting heads with, with your hero or heroine. So overall, so for example, in the Marvel universe, there are some times that Loki does have sympathy for people or he and Thor do work together because they have similar aims. But in the end, Loki always falls back on his selfish motivations. And it's always, you know, usually if he's doing something to help someone else, it's really that he's playing the long game. So this will help someone else in the short run, but it's still going to benefit him somehow in the long run. And overall, he usually um, doesn't have enough sympathy to stop going after his evil plan. So um, they have no loyalty or respect for rules or laws. So again, this is going to be different depending on your story and your world and the kind of villain that you are creating. They might have loyalty to a specific type of rule or law, but overall we see them breaking a lot of rules. And this really kind of is an extension of the selfish motivations. They want what they want and they're going to go after it no matter what. And they don't really care about the rules. They're just going to go after it because that's what they want. So Think about showing them breaking rules in your world, whatever that is, um, because that's a good way to identify them as a villain. No loyalty and certainly no respect for the law or for whatever rules um, are a part of that world. And yeah, they will chase down their own desires at all costs. They're willing to burn it all down, okay? So if your hero comes up with a solution and says, hey, you can just do this and then you get what you want and the villain goes, oh, okay. <laughs> they're not the greatest villain, okay? For the most part, they have to be so committed to what they're doing that they're willing to burn their whole world down to get it, okay? Again, it's just, this is a really great way to have a, a really strong villain that pops off the page, but of course, you will have to adapt it to your story. 
And finally, they should be a reflection of the hero, heroine, or protagonist in some way. This comes back to the word foil, which I think I've talked about before, um, which just means that the strong qualities in one of them, either the villain or the hero, is going to emphasize and bring out the opposite qualities in the other one. So how heroic the hero is will emphasize how cowardly the villain is. How kind and compassionate the heroine is will specifically be emphasized by how cruel the villain is. You know, they're opposite um, traits and they complement each other. But the other part of that is that they need to reflect each other in some way. They should have some similarities and it can be, this can be anything. This can be personality traits that are similar or it can be experiences they've had that are similar that they sort of connect on. And the reason for that is, well, we could get into a huge long discussion about this, okay? It comes down to psychology and don't worry, I won't do that. But on the one hand, it creates some sympathy for the villain and you know, kind of more of an emotional connection, which overall is just gonna make the story more impactful. But it also creates this you know, sometimes very unconscious understanding on the reader's part that the hero easily could become the villain because they have similarities. And, and in a lot of ways, the hero or heroine needs to understand that too, you know, but for the grace of God go I, that sort of thing. So, you know, if they've been through a lot of the same things, but one is good and one is evil, that just creates this really interesting juxtaposition, especially for the reader, because they will pick up on those similarities. Um, it also shows that it comes down to a matter of choice, which kind of becomes a morality thing. But that's, you know, that's one of the major points of stories, right, is to tell these morality stories, and it's all about what we choose to do. So come up with some way that your hero and your villain reflect each other, you know, so you can do the opposites for the foil, but also do a reflection. There should be some similarities there in, in some way. And there are many, many ways you can do that. Sky's the limit, right? Hi, prolific authors, me again. Are you on Pinterest? You really should be. Pinterest is its own search engine and it has more than 2.5 billion active members, many of whom are on the platform weekly, if not daily. And guess what? A good chunk of those readers get on Pinterest to look for books, reviews, bookish communities, and all things fiction. Entrepreneur Stephanie Gass has created a training course that shows other entrepreneurs how to use Pinterest. Her tips can be adapted to any industry, including to us prolific authors. So if you want to learn how to use Pinterest to get extra visibility, be it for your books, your blog posts, or anything else you might create and want to find an audience for, this is for you. She'll even show you how to set it up so Pinterest works for you on autopilot and you only have to monitor it for a few minutes a week. So don't miss Stephanie Gass's Pinterest Masterclass. Go to bit.ly forward slash TPA Pinterest, TPA for the prolific author. So once again, that's bit.ly forward slash TPA Pinterest. Um, okay, so beyond that, like I said at the beginning, there are dozens of types of villains you can use for your story. Um, you know, different personalities. Are they crazy? Are they not? Is there method in the madness, right? Are they mysterious? Are you telling part of it from their point of view? I mean, you, could, you can do this any way you want, but try to make sure that throughout the course of the story, they are doing the things on the checklist. Because again, it's, it's not so much about the personality or the way you're handling your villain. It's really more about their function in the story and the kinds of things they should be doing that mark them as villainous. This is sort of an afterthought or a side note, but keep in mind that people tend to hate annoying villains more than they hate evil villains. And this is just kind of, it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the villainy checklist. It was just something I was thinking about uh, when I was getting this presentation ready. 
If you really want people to hate your villain, make them annoying and entitled, like they think the world owes them something and they think all the other characters owe them something, that will make your audience absolutely hate them. But a, a villain that is evil, but kind of sympathetic and understanding, and especially if you make the villain attractive, yeah, you're gonna have people who, even though they might be rooting for the hero to win, are still not gonna hate your villain. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing at all. I'm just saying there's two different ways to do it. And remember, weak villain equals weak conflict equals no hero's journey equals no story. Okay, so make sure that your villain is well thought out and you, you know, feel free to use this checklist as a checks and balances kind of thing so that you can add these elements into your story if your villain is feeling a little bit weak. And I'm going to have a link in the show notes where you can get a PDF of this checklist, okay? So yeah, I think that's about all I have today. Everybody have fun, go out and write a villain and have tons of fun doing it. And whatever else you do, write your passion. I will see you next week. Me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.